This is a podcast for Journal of Animal Ecology, a British Ecological Society publication. Hi, and welcome to a British Ecological podcast for the Journal of Animal Ecology. Today I'm talking to Paulina Arancibia. She's one of our shortlisted candidates for the Elton Prize. The Elton Prize is an early career researcher prize awarded by the British Ecological Society every year for the best research paper in Journal of Animal Ecology. Paulina is a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Uvascular. Her research focuses on community ecology and community dynamics. Today we're going to find out a bit more about Paulina and her research. So hi Paulina. Hi Amy, thank you for having me. Pleasure, thank you for being here. Um, Just introduce yourself to us. Um, Who are you, where are you from and what's your research in? Well, um, I'm from Chile, so in South America, the land of Pedro Pascal, that's why we're pretty much known these days. Um, My background is in marine ecology and uh, the paper we're going to be talking about uh, today is the product of my doctoral dissertation, which I did in uh, the U.S. at Rutgers University. Okay, so you've moved around quite a bit at different universities. Yeah, yeah. I went, um, I think in 2014, I moved to the U.S. um, having been there for the first time when I started my PhD. And the first time I came to Europe was when I moved to Finland for my postdoc. Wow. And how are you liking Finland? I really like it. Yeah. (laughs) It's very, very different in many ways, but also it feels like some things are more close to home than the US. So it's kind of a mixed bag. The weather is definitely different. Yeah. Um, So how did you come to start studying your particular area, so uh, meta-community and community ecology? Well, uh, uh, when I did my bachelor's in Chile, uh, it was in marine biology, and ecology was always the thing that, like, I was more interested in. And so at that time, for that program, you were required to do quite a bit of research to get your degree. So I had to do, like, a, a small... Uh, in research seminar, I had to do a tiny thesis, and then I moved on to do a master's at the same institution. And so I just kept going in further and further with ecology and like finding my way through uh, community ecology until I was ready to go for my PhD. And uh, at that point, I was like set on this is what I'm interested in. Although I switched quite a bit in terms of the organisms that I was studying, because over there I studied uh, community ecology with intertidal organisms. And then when I moved, um, my um, my PhD advisor, who's also a co-author on this paper, he works with protists and microcosms. So it's an entire, entirely different system. What's your favorite organism then, since you've moved around a bit? Ooh, you know, I find intertidal organisms very fascinating. Uh, I really liked working in the environment, not only because of the organisms, but also because of like going to the field, especially if you're you're having a field season over the summer means going to the beach. So that was pretty, pretty amazing. 
But the thing with them is that trying to do something experimentally, it becomes so hard. It's really, really hard. And uh, now working with things in the lab, I don't have to carry stuff to the beach. And so I found that protists, they're not only more convenient, but they can also be pretty, pretty cool. Help us out then. So how would you describe a a protist for our listeners? So protists, well, it's a very broad uh, category, but what I mean when I talk about protists, I'm usually talking about like uh, microbes uh, that are, and they don't have to be unicellular, but mostly things like ciliates, amoeba. So probably everybody knows from like bio class, a paramecium. So that's my... Uh, that's my favorite uh, species so far. That's the one I've used in this paper. Um, what is that? It's a ciliate. It's a unicellular organism. Uh, it's very small. Um, they are uh, aquatic and they do very well in the lab. So you like looking at meta communities, um, big community ecology. What's the relevance of that in ecology? You know, why is that an exciting field to be in at the moment? Well, uh, when you're thinking about meta communities, you're usually think about thinking about very large scale systems, right? So the def- basic definition of a meta community is uh, a, a set of local communities connected by dispersal. That's like the most basic. Uh, definition. And when you think about that, if you put it in the context of like um, what we experience as humans, you can think about forests, like patches of forests or um, coral reefs, anything that is relatively discrete, but connected by the movement of organisms is a meta community. And to me, at least um, in this uh, day and age, it seems like the correct scale to think about questions about biodiversity, what happens when we change habitat. So um, that's why I think it's it's a relevant scale uh, at which we want to study certain phenomena, particularly community. So can you apply the findings of your research in your area? You can apply that to other taxa, other, other communities and other ecosystems, for example. Well, uh, that is something I've been asking myself quite a bit because obviously I work with microbes, right? So how can you apply what you learn from uh, a microbial system to a forest, right? There is sort of a disconnect. But the thing is, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to use microbes as a model system to try to come up with things that are more general, uh, that could potentially be applied to other systems. So that is the goal, whether that is actually feasible, that is a whole different question. Uh, but hopefully when you do experiments, what you're trying is to control as many factors as you can. So hopefully you get um, the processes of what are what's driving the dynamics in a pure, not pure form, but in a more controlled way. So that hopefully that can be applied or extrapolate it to a larger system. Let's chat briefly about your wonderful paper, which you submitted. Give us a brief overview. What did you find? What were you looking for? So, um, well, I don't want to go all the way back to where the idea came from, but uh, I've been 
trying to uh, to figure out whether um, something that is relatively accessible for other ecologists to manipulate in this day and age um, can have any potential consequences on how the systems works. Okay, so <laughs> the idea behind the, the paper is basically trying to understand if the way in which you connect different habitat types can have a favorable or a negative effect on the functioning of the whole system. And because what I had in mind when I was thinking about this is that eco modern day ecologists or ecology practitioners have the ability to actually create habitats or modify habitats in different ways. So for example, if you're creating a, um, like, um, what's it called, like a green infrastructure or you're designing a network of protected areas or something like that. Yeah. Some things are very hard to modify, right? Sometimes you have only a set of land. You can't buy any more parcels. But what you can actually modify, or it would be easier or cheaper to modify, is how this, this land or this uh, different isolated patches are connected. And so um, the driver of this uh, study was to figure out and basically try to find advice for someone who's trying to do this is like, well, is there a better way of doing it? Or does it have a, does this have an impact if the way in which we are connecting these habitats actually produces something first? And then if I can find what is the best way? Yeah, because and that's quite topical at the moment, isn't it? With, like you say, protected green areas, um, looking at species, niches, yeah, in terms of conservation. Exactly. Um, so what did you find? So basically with this big idea in my head that I just wanted to find out if the way in which we connect things affect uh, the way the system functions. Um, I just designed metapopulation, so a bunch of uh, connected um, little habitats. And because I work with microbes in this case, they were like well in well plates that I connected with capillary tubes and I tried to connect them in two contrasting ways. So um, I connected them at random following up random distribution or a scale-free distribution, which I don't want to go into a lot of detail about. It's just very contrasting and they have to do the, the, the contrast is in the amount of connectivity that you see within the patches. So in one, you would see that most of these habitat patches have a very similar number of uh, connections. So basically, you would say that the connectivity is more regular. So you would find that each individual patch has about the same number of neighbors as any other in the, in the whole system. And then this other system, a scale-free, you see, you see that uh, the distribution of this connectivity is more heterogeneous. So you have a lot of patches that are mostly isolated, and then you have a few patches that are very connected. And this should have uh, an effect because if you think about dispersal, uh, the, you're, you're thinking about how a species colonizes a network, where how far it can get, and, and things like that. And so I used one species of uh, paramecium um, in this experiment, and I just inoculated them at random 
in the network and I let them move freely through the capillary tubes that follow these different mm-hmm. layouts uh, for many, many protist generations. And at the very end, I looked, since I was counting um, throughout the experiment, I, I went and looked at how did these systems do. And I noticed that in this uh, network where all things were more regularly connected, the random network, um, the species uh, survived longer. The sp- um, yeah, they persisted for longer in the system and they also reached higher abundances. And so if you put that, uh, bring it back to what we were talking about, like conservation and things like that, you would say, well, if you have to, in this case, my advice to a practitioner would be if you're building a network and you're con- you're focused on one species, it tends to like higher in- an increase in connectivity would be beneficial for the system. And in that case, that species would pers- uh, persist longer and reach higher abundances. What is it about that style of connectivity? So where you had lots maybe lots of, you know, opportunities for movement. What is it about that which allows for the persistence of a species? Well, I think, um, so being able to reach new places faster means faster colonization and you have uh, fast access to resources. And so that allows these organisms to successfully colonize all the patches in the network and reach higher abundances. Whereas if it, if it takes you longer to move, right. Uh, or not longer, but it take it, it is harder to colonize other patches. You're basically staying in the same patch with, and reproducing with me, which means that you have, a, you may have a negative effect of density in that patch where you're staying because you're not moving anywhere else. Okay. So um, there, I think there is uh, a lot of uh, like local dynamics in, involved in this and they become more important because they're not, they can't move as easily. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. And so do you hope this will apply to other taxa and other organisms or do you imagine there'll be perhaps different different factors to consider yeah for sure i mean this uh the species that i'm using um i don't want to say that they're dumb but they don't have that many tools to... <laughs> yeah i mean they don't have that many tools or sophisticated behaviors to track uh resources or to avoid negative things and this is a very controlled setting too so like when you um the next chapter in my dissertation included other species. So you had negative interactions and I'm not going to spoil that, but like things, things change when you add uh, negative interactions. So basically in this case, when you have a single species, you only have the benefits of getting to a new environment. So you're getting new resources. You're basically starting fresh uh, with smaller populations with that's full of available resources. So you can just grow. Right. So it's like grow, 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 grow very fast. Um, But then if you add a species where maybe having too many conspecifics in the same uh, space is not a good thing, then that that may give you uh, different results. So I don't think that that you can 
extrapolate this without any caveats. Like it, yeah. this is just a model system and uh, it was uh, conceived as a way of bridging the gap between what was happening in the theoretical world where people have been studying things uh, very closely related to these topics, but using super large scale models, right? Very complex. But then when you look at what people are doing actually in the field or in empirical systems, there's a very large gap because studying things outside, are, it's very difficult. So you can't do something with a meta population with 2000 patches that just doesn't happen. No one has the ability or very few people have the ability to do that in the field. So I think even though like my results are probably not going to be the gold standard for people building uh, like, uh, I don't know, networks yeah. of protected areas, they do bring a bit mm -hmm. more realism to what people have been doing in the modeling world. Tell us a bit more about the, the research um, process. Have you had any interesting stories from your lab, any particular challenges which you found in studying this? Uh, well, I mean, I spent a lot of time looking at protists under the microscope. Mm. So that, that's interesting in itself. Like, uh, um, it's a very large scale experiment um, with many, many patches and counting every because I did everything by eye. Okay. You counted all the protests by I eye. I counted all of them, every wow. single one by eye. <laughs> so I spent many, many hours sitting at the microscope and I listened to a lot of podcasts. Has no one invented anything for counting unicellular organisms? People have been working on it, but uh, under different settings. And it's also, also okay. not like a super accessible thing to do you need to have like a super fancy microscope and you need to develop algorithms and so um in my lab we didn't have all the things that were required were required to automatize all the counting we could have done certain things uh but it was more straightforward to just go ahead and do it uh, by eye but uh in the lab i'm right now here in finland we are uh, developing those methods. So that's like super exciting for me because I get to do uh, all the things that I wanted to do in my PhD, but that I didn't want to sit to count <laughs> yeah. for ages. And now uh, here, I'm, I'm very lucky that I landed in a place where uh, they were interested in developing methods to actually take this and make it a bigger scale. I imagine that would speed things up considerably, wouldn't it, in your area? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I, I mean, I don't think it would speed things in the sense that experiments that take 60 generations are still going to take 60 generations, but yeah. I'm going to be way more fresh <laughs> at the end of the experiment than uh, uh, at that sure. time. Like, And also it helps because there are certain things that you just can't humanly do. Like, for example... Um, what I was doing, especially in the other, this, in this, uh, for this paper, all the organisms are the same species. So basically you just count things that move and that's it. But when you add up more species, there's only so many that you can keep track at the same time. So I, when I was counting, I was counting an entire patch. And so things are swimming. You have to count from the top to the bottom 
and some things look alike. <laughs> so like there's only so much that you can do with your eye. So using... I can't imagine there's that much um, visual variation between a community of protists. Well, they can be. So they some of them are very exci- uh, have exciting morphologies and colors. But in okay. this case, I was using paramecium, which it's basically a unicell that is very elongated uh, and they look white under a microscope. So <laughs> not super exciting at that time. What does a day in your lab look like? How long might you spend doing this? Well, it depends. So right now that we're, in, as a postdoc, we're just at the phase where we're actually developing methods. So it basic, it looks like me playing in a very fancy microscope, putting protists, taking pictures, and sending them to the very smart people who develop methods. But when I was doing experiments like this, my day started very early. Um, and it would be just me looking at Protus until the end of the day. Wow. Nothing super exciting. <laughs> what would you say has been the biggest challenge in producing this research for you? Well, it took a bit to actually get the system to work. Um, in this, for this study, um, well, I, I was not uh, familiar with Protus uh, work at all. And so a big shout out to my advisor and also co-author of this paper, Peter Morin. He, he's been working with microcosms for a very long time. So he has a lot of knowledge and he was super um, gracious to help me uh, and teach me how to, how to do Protus work. And so it was a it was a learning curve trying to take care of them and figuring out uh, like a, a good amount because if you inoculate uh, things with uh, protists that are I don't know how a population that's old basically their division rate is different than when you have a protist um, population that is like on the exponential growth phase. So that took a while tuning and figuring out how that would affect me, my experiments and like what was the right combination of uh, um, density of individuals, number of patches, things that would work and whatnot. So what's, what's next, do you think, in this area of research? What's next for community ecology? Oof, that's a that's that's a very broad question, and I don't think I'm the right person to ask for the future of community ecology. But uh, in this particular line of research, I think um, I what I've been doing um, is in a very controlled and very homogeneous setting. Yeah. So I mentioned before that uh, this is part of my dissertation and the next chapter of my dissertation is actually looking at meta communities in a very similar experiment. So adding interactions to the system. But there are many other things that also affect the systems and that would make this more comparable to reality. So let's say adding heterogeneity. So because in, even if you have, an, like particularly if you're looking at a network of habitats, like in, in the real world, not all habitat patches are the same. And so adding uh, heterogeneity in different uh, 
resources or or um, conditions within the experiment can also give you a better insight mm -hmm. as to how the dynamics uh, of the system work. And there are many other things such as um, historical contingency that can also play a big role in how systems like meta communities work and how they assemble. So that's also uh, a big step. But, uh, and I'm quoting here, people in my current lab, um, probably one of the biggest challenges is start to think uh, about uh, meta communities as continuous um, communities and not the discrete patches uh, in which we've been working so far, in which most of the theory has been developed. But that, at least with my experimental system, that has proven to be very difficult yeah. to, to test. Well, I, how about for you personally? What's next for you in your research? Well, I'm super excited because uh, right now in the lab I'm at, they're allowing me to continue with the with the work that I was doing during my PhD. So I can take the natural next step, which is what I mentioned, adding uh, more complexity to the systems and evaluating whether it, the, the magnitude of the effect of complexity in terms of uh, habitat heterogeneity or what happens when you have uh, different communities that are configured in a different way. So it's not the same when you have a community where you have only species that compete, right? For example, if you have, if you think about, I don't know, um, like a herbivore um, kind of assemblage where you have, I don't know, only things that eat grass, It's not the same having a community of only species that eat the same thing or having uh, a community where you have things that eat each other. So having predator-prey interactions and the scale, the length of that trophic change can also have um, different effects on how the system will behave under different conditions. And to me, it's very exciting to try to see if we can actually predict any of this. So you're going to be in Finland for foreseeable future studying a protest? Well, I still have uh, a little less than two years uh, on my contract. So hopefully uh, that will be enough. Uh, if not, I would really love to stay here. Uh, yeah, maybe a little, a little longer just to take advantage of all the cool stuff that uh, we have here. Aside from counting unicellular organisms, you do get to go outside then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> What's the best thing about where oh, you it's, are? It's very different in many ways. Um, in the US, I had to drive everywhere. And here I get to walk, walk by a lake to go to work every morning. So that's pretty cool. Very yeah. nice. I really like it. Um, yeah, we here people live a very different life. Um, very, um, it's a lower uh, intensity, I would say. Um, you've mentioned one supervisor already. Are there is there anyone else you'd like to shout out to about your research? Um, any other you know groups who have really contributed to this work? Well, I mean, yeah, my advisor and the Morin Lab, like uh, the community there uh, and at the bigger graduate program at Rutgers, everybody was uh, super welcoming and, and 
and it felt like a really safe place to discuss ideas. Everybody was super encouraging. All the faculty there were um, super um, positive and like um, it was a it, it felt like a very healthy and safe place to be. And I really appreciated that. Um, also, while I was a grad student there, I had a side gig as a um, editorial assistant at a restoration journal. Um, so the people from ecological restoration, the fact that I was so um, immersed in this for my side gig, uh, I get to, I got to see a bunch of papers coming from this all different field from ecology. I ha I had never. Uh, thought about ecological restoration, and I would say that's probably the place where the idea came came together because they were thinking about this green spaces, designing things, which were things that I didn't uh, think uh, were possible or, or were not in my field of view as a community ecologist set, centered around like interactions and things like that. But they were trying to apply all this knowledge to actually design things, so. I think that mm -hmm. was the place where uh, my idea came together as like, yeah, there's people who actually could use this knowledge. At the British Ecological Society, we often get submissions from early career researchers and you submitted this paper during the last year of your PhD. What would you say to other early career researchers maybe thinking for next year's prize they might try and submit or, you know, pushing through that final year of their PhD? Oof. I don't know. It's it's hard uh, for everybody, especially in their last mm. years. Uh, but just trust trust yourself. Um, I feel like many times we get super discouraged and very hypercritical of our work. And I think in that sense, I need I I have to thank my advisor who really pushed me. He was like, "This is ready to submit. Submit it. Submit it. Submit it." Because I'm never happy with my work. Exactly. But it, I'm not sure if it's because of perfection or insecurities, but um, I think we all need to think about uh, the, st the steps of the publication process in a more healthier way, in a sense that even though sometimes you may get like a negative um, decision, usually comes with hopefully constructive criticism. So even if you feel like whatever you have is not completely ready, uh, and if you have someone who says, yes, it's ready, just send it out, yeah. submit it, take a chance. And worst case scenario, you'll just, they'll, they'll let you know what's actually missing or where you can figure, where you can um, improve mm -hmm. things. Because it's also super hard to see the flaws when you're so close to your own work. Well, thank you very much, Paulina, for talking to us today. Um, it's been great thank having you. you. We're going to be announcing our winners for the Elton Prize um, very soon. So best of luck thank with that. Thank you. And of course, best of luck with the rest of your postdoctoral research. Thank you so much. You've been listening today to a British Ecological Society podcast um, for the Journal of Animal Ecology.